Take your copy of the scriptures and open to the book of 1 John this morning. 1 John chapter number 1 is where we will read. John's encouragement to walk in the light. We are praying for those of our faith family who are in North Georgia or going to be back on, on their way back this afternoon, praying for their time of worship this morning. And again, as we've said, that it would be a time of refreshment. Every faith family needs strong families. And that begins with a strong marriage. And so we're grateful and we praise God for the time that those have been able to spend away. First John chapter number 1. We're going to read from verse 5 through chapter number 2, verse 2. And that sounds like a lot, but hopefully you found your place and you see that it's, it's just a handful of verses. So if you found your place and you are physically able, will you join me in standing? We stand that we may show our honor and reverence as the living word of God is read in our presence. As we read, we hear the Holy Spirit speaking down through the ages, anew and afresh to us this morning. 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 5 and following, where you hear the words of the scriptures. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children... I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. This morning, trusting that the Holy Spirit himself will preach, walk in the light. You may be seated. Father, we look up this morning... And we acknowledge your unapproachable light. You dwell in a place that we could never dare come near. But because Jesus, the righteous one, is our helper, is our advocate, is the one who pleads our case, we can draw near with confidence. This morning, as we read your word, we pray that you would add your blessing to the preaching, to the hearing, to the understanding, and to the applying of your scripture, that we would leave the room edified, changed. Father, I pray that someone would hear the gospel this morning and would call on the name of Jesus to be saved. Tabernacle with your people as we read, in Jesus' name and for his sake, God's people together, said amen. Walk in the light. First John, this is John's first letter, of course, was written in the 90s AD, 
It's hard to tell exactly what year of the 90s, but it was written between 90 and 100, sometime not long before uh, John went to be with the Lord, probably from Ephesus. It was addressed to many of the churches in that region, although it doesn't explicitly say so. It was intended for the fellowship of believers there in that region. Gnosticism was a problem that many of the early writers of the New Testament wrote to combat. Gnosticism was a movement that especially grew after this time into the early hundreds and two hundreds AD that said that there was a secret knowledge about God that you needed to possess in order to have fellowship with him. Gnosticism creeped into the church and in some different forms you had to add things to the gospel. Others they took things out of the gospel message. At every turn they claimed to have a secret knowledge that if you followed them you would have fellowship with God. John wrote his letter to address that and a number of other things, but explicitly, you need to know that John's letter was intended to encourage Christian believers in their fellowship with God and each other and how to find joy in that relationship. There was false teaching all around, and today is no different. Some teach us today that our works save us, or at least in part, they play a very important role. Others teach us that you can only be baptized by certain people for your salvation to count. Some still hold to this ancient heresy without realizing it. It's a modern form of Gnosticism when they say that what's sin for you is not sin for me. When a culture that is convinced that relativism is the truth, that truth is in the eyes of the beholder and it's not set by an absolute standard, by an absolute God we fall back into this ancient heresy. In our text this morning, we're going to hear the Apostle John speak very clearly. A message that comes straight from the Lord Jesus. A message that if we listen to it, we will find the very aim of this letter in our lives this morning. Complete and overwhelming joy. So I want to make three observations about the message as we open our text. The message that we have heard I want to make three observations about this message that help us to walk in the light. Number one, will you notice that the gospel message reveals the nature of God? The gospel message reveals the nature of God. Look back at verse 5. He says, this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. I'm reminded, and I will be transparent with you this morning, in preparing this message like I do so often, many other messages, sometimes I get to a stopping point. Heath, I don't know if you ever get there, brother. You get to a place where you're like, I can't go anymore. I don't really know what to say. It can't be that simple that God is light and we are in darkness. Well, after all of my work and all of my labor, I stand to tell you this morning, very simply, that the scriptures tell us that God is light and that we are in darkness. And I don't have anything good to add to that except that this is the message that came straight from the Lord Jesus. God is light and we are in darkness. Now, what does that mean? Light was often used to describe God or his appearance or when he made a visitation to his people, light was always part of that event. The very first words of the scripture, what did they say? God said in the beginning, let there be 
light. And there was light. Early on in his time with Abraham, in making the covenant with him, God appeared. There was like a lamp that passed between the sacrifices. And not long ago, Pastor Mike on Wednesday nights did a great job of explaining the significance of that event. Later, when God's people were being led out of slavery by Moses, God appeared in front of them as a pillar of fire. Bright light was shining. When he went up the mountain of God to receive God's instructions, the law of God, when Moses returned, remember, he had only seen a glimpse of maybe the back of God's presence. And he came back, and the people, what did they do? They put a cover over Moses' face for a number of days. They said, we cannot look at you. You've been in the presence of God. God is light. In the New Testament, when Paul was on the road to Damascus, suddenly it says a bright light was all around them. They were completely and terribly afraid. When the shepherds were in the fields, the night that the angels announced the birth of the Messiah, it said suddenly a great light was shining all around them. We want you to understand that throughout the scriptures, the testimony is consistent. The nature of God is light. His very essence is light. Throughout the scriptures, light can represent glory, holiness, purity, truth, life, and justice. But I want you to understand something this morning. Again, a very simple truth. That light, while we may use it and we have to relate with God in a metaphoric sense a lot of times. Because His majesty and greatness, we cannot even comprehend. Light is not simply a metaphor this morning. God is Himself light. Light is the source of life. John says that in his other writings. You go back to John chapter 1. We see that light shined in the darkness and the darkness could not overwhelm it. We know that very literally here today, physically, somebody could, if you teach science or you've been through a science class, you know that from the sun, the light from the sun fuels every part of life. There's no part of life that we have that is not connected to the light that comes from the sun, and the very one who spoke that light into existence is himself light. Ben, where are you going with this? What does this mean? It's very important to understand the overwhelming nature of God, even in a limited way, because it puts this message that John writes about, the message we have heard from him, into perspective. It speaks to the heresy about our ability to fellowship with God. We need to go back and understand that these false teachers in this day in Ephesus and the surrounding areas were saying, if God is perfect, if God is light and He is perfect, then we must be able to be perfect too. And that's the heresy that John was writing to address. He was saying, the people were coming into the church and saying, hey, you have the ability to be perfect. And others then were saying, hey, you are already perfect. One of the great Gnostic heresies was this, that since uh, matter is evil, everything we do here is evil, but Jesus has already redeemed us spiritually, the things we do in the body don't matter. And God's not interested in that. We have to understand that heresy and understand who God really is in order to be able to progress. In verse number 6, we see John continue. He says, if we have fellowship with him, if we say we do, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. He is saying, the people in the church who are saying that we have a relationship with God, while they embrace sinful practices, are lying. There is no darkness in him. Simply put, God's perfection has nothing to do with darkness. And we cannot have fellowship with him and cling 
to things of the dark. The gospel message reveals the nature of God. The fact that God is light lets us know that He is perfect. He is holy. He is complete. He is the fullness of all things. And there is nothing... And the news is bad at first, just bear with me, it's going to get better. There is nothing that you and I could ever do to be able to approach who God is in His glory and His majesty. John says that God is light and there is no darkness in Him at all. We move on to verse 7. He says, If we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. A number of if-then statements in this passage. We'll not take much time to unpack them this morning. There are six, though, in the, in the text we've read. John is laying out an argument that's saying, if we do this, then these things happen. They're based on the eternal truth of who God is. They do not change. If we walk in the light, we have fellowship with God. Period. Full stop. Brothers and sisters, that statement has much to say then to us this morning. That if we are walking in anything but the light... Even if we claim to have fellowship with God, we do not. God cannot be connected with anything that is in the darkness. Light is the prerequisite characteristic to fellowship with God. The absolute requirement to fellowship with God. And John says the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, makes this possible. It cleanses us from all sin. So, if God is light and all that that means... It's pretty easy then. Walk in that and you're good, right? We can close up, pray, and go home. Just walk in the light and you're good. It's not quite that simple. Number two, as we look at verse 8, I want you to see that the gospel message uncovers the depth of our sin. Light reveals, light uncovers, light points to where you need to go. That's what we're talking about this morning. And the gospel message uncovers the depth of our sin. In verse 8, he says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Some were taking the truth about God's nature. Again, make sure we understand this, and teaching that people could become sinless on their own. John addresses, us, addresses this problem by reminding the churches that everyone has the same sin problem. He says in verse 8 that claiming to be without sin is deception. That if anyone comes to you and says, hey, you don't, I don't sin anymore. And if you do this, this, and this, you won't sin either. They're lying. Furthermore, if, he, if anyone comes to you and says, hey, that thing, A, B, or C, that God said back in the day was sin, well, that was then, and this is now, it's not sin anymore. He's saying, that person's lying. The gospel message, the message that we heard from Jesus and proclaimed to you, reveals to us, it uncovers for us the depth of our sin, that no one who has ever lived, save one person, is without sin. David said in both Psalm 14 and Psalm 53 that none do good, not even one. Paul said in Romans 3 that all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Now we all know this, right? How many have had, had a little one come into your family? And you've had that little thing home just a few days, a precious little boy or girl. And you bring them home and suddenly they begin to cry one day. And they're just screaming at the top of their lungs. And you just change the diaper or you just fed them. And you pick them up and they quit crying. You're like, oh, well, okay, I guess everything's all right. You lay that little one back down 
and he begins to wail once again. And you lay him down again, or you pick him up, and they stop, and the process goes on. You realize that in the first few days of their existence, they have learned how to manipulate and how to lie. Even the most, the, what we view as the most precious and innocent in our lives, they already know how to sin. Proverbs says, man is but a few days, born just a few days, and is full of trouble. The gospel message uncovers that we have all sinned. But brothers and sisters, I need to tell you this morning that Ben is his best defense lawyer. More than anyone else, I can craft for you an argument and a reason why the thing that I did that God said is sin is actually okay. Here's the thing about it. You're the very same way. All of us have the thing that we do, the thing that we say, the thing that we participate in, the thing that we long for. We have our pet sin that always trips us up. And see, we just can't seem to let it go. When we're confronted with the light of the gospel message that we are to walk in the light of God's truth and holiness, we still try to drag that filthy thing on into God's presence with us. We say, it's okay, God understands. He's all right with what I'm doing. John was writing to those in the churches in Asia Minor between 90 and 100 AD, about 2,000 years ago, give or take, that that is not acceptable. That those who do that make God himself a liar. Yet, in East Aboga in 2019, we will do the very same thing. We will come to worship. We will go through the week with the name of Jesus on our lips and claiming him as the Savior of our lives and our hope for salvation. But we continue to do the things that displease him. The gospel message uncovers the very depth of our sin. Verse 9, the classic verse we know The truth of the gospel, that if we confess, he is faithful to forgive. And that is true every time. But it's another conditional. You see, we must confess. Did anybody go through faith evangelism training back in the day? I see one person raising their hand. Great job. I know a bunch of you others did. I may have put you to sleep already, so you're not able to get your hand up. But it's okay. A in faith was that forgiveness is available for all. But what? It's not automatic. We have to confess the depth of our sin is such that we cannot, no matter what we do, escape from the darkness. Salvation does not come from our family. It's not something we inherit. That's a problem in the South. We think we're Christians because our grandparents were. It's not something that we can find in our jobs and our money and our status and relationships. Salvation comes only in the person of Jesus Christ. If you go to Ephesians chapter number 2, we see very clearly Paul telling us that before Christ we were dead. The gospel says that the depth of our sin means we were totally enslaved to darkness. Continue reading in verse 10. Because some still are not convinced. We don't think we are as bad. A very popular song right now on the radio says, I believe most people are good. The gospel message says no one has ever been good apart from the righteous one. Verse 10, we see, if we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. John repeats for emphasis and for clarity 
that if you say you are not sinning or that you've never sinned, you are lying. He says you make him out to be a liar. Now, we didn't have time to fully, we wouldn't have time, we'd be here for the rest of our lives if we tried to uncover and explain the majesty of the nature of God. But John is saying here, if you can look through and see it, we make him a liar. And just a minute ago, he said that he is light, he is truth, he cannot lie. He is uncovering for us the insanity of this heresy by saying, you say you've not sinned, you would make God a liar. And that is utterly impossible. So if you are thinking that you have never sinned, you have literally, in our day, this is how I would say it, you have lost your mind. The gospel message uncovers the depth of our sin. What God declares, because He cannot lie, what He declares is dead is dead. What he declares to be alive is alive. What sin is, is always sin. And what light is, is light. So what is the solution? We've now seen that God is light. And that we are in darkness. And we are captive, totally captive, to that darkness. John's message that he heard from Jesus and delivered to the church answers the question. Well, you see finally that the gospel message points to the finished work of Jesus. The gospel message points to the finished work of Jesus. As we move to chapter 2, we came up with the chapter uh, breaks there. This is really the same teaching passage or pericope. My little children, I am writing these things that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of of the whole world. So, there are people out here saying, you don't have to worry about sin anymore. It's gone. God is perfect, and if you're with Him, then you're perfect. John is saying, remember, that's not true. God is light. We cannot approach. We are enslaved to our sin, but I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. That you may not sin by believing that heresy. That you may know what Jesus has done for you. I really like the phrase, my little children. Shelby has told me before that when I preach, often she said, you have a couple of phrases you say a lot. And I try to work on those, but uh, she says certain things you just say all the time. And one of those is sweet people of God. I say it all the time. Gina's back there nodding. She's like, yes, you do. You say that. Do you know why I do that? Because I believe, one, that you are. The fellowship that we have together is something sweet. It's unlike anything I've experienced in my life. But I take seriously my responsibility as one of your pastors. And I understand and I relate with the Apostle John when he says, my little children. And as strange as it may, that's why I don't exactly speak like that. That's why I don't call you my little ones like John did throughout his writings. But I do have a special concern for you. The gospel message tells us what Jesus has done and is my desire that you know it and that you live in its confidence that you may not sin. Did you know what comes with that sometimes? Because that sounds great. We're all warm and fuzzy now. It's like a big hug. But sometimes that means we have to sit down together and I have to say, brother, sister, you are sinning. Stop sinning. That's the flip side of that. And that doesn't feel nearly as warm and fuzzy, does it? John said, I'm writing these things so that you will not believe false teaching. 
that you will not fall captive and pray to those who would lead you astray is a very shepherding responsibility I have to protect you from wolves that would lead you astray. So sometimes I have to sit down and say, hey, what you said was not right. Hey, your absence does not honor the Lord. Hey, the way you responded is not good. Here's the other side again. You're supposed to do that for me too. John's pastoral concern for the church was that they would not fall into this heresy. But let me tell you, with as much clarity as I can this morning, that our faith family has walked through seasons of this same false doctrine. We have allowed sin to go unchecked. We have allowed apathy and disobedience to go unconfronted. We have allowed lifestyle choices to continue in the midst of the church and not say anything about it. The gospel message points us to the finished work of Jesus. We're about to get to it. But Paul's concern was, he said, listen, that you may not sin. So can I say something very, very just straightforward to you? Don't sin. If you take anything else away from this message this morning, resist sin. Fight the urge to sin. How do we do that? He says, if anyone does sin, and you'd have to read this in the original language to understand. Again, we're not saying that some of you may be able to achieve sinlessness. He's saying, don't sin, but you're going to. So when you do, remember this. If you sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. The righteous one. The light from light who can bring you into the light. The one who was in all points tempted like you and I were, but he never sinned. The only person who made it through from birth to death without offending Righteous and holy God. The gospel message points us to the fact that we have a helper. We have an advocate. We have someone who is ready to defend us. An old song says, Jesus knows all about our struggle. and He will guide till the day is done. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. So when we sin... He pleads our case. We go back to Hebrews 7. We reference it so often. We have a great high priest who lives forever and intercedes for us. Verse 2. We have a really big word. Then we're going to pray. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Do you remember the Old Testament? Where God's people would have to bring bulls and goats and lambs and birds they have to bring parts of their crops and things to offer on the altar to appease God's offense. God, our sin, the sin of our mother and father, Adam and Eve, had offended God. His wrath burns as it does today against every unholy thought, word, and deed. But at the right time, the Messiah came. And he hung on a cross between heaven and earth to be the satisfaction for that sin. That's what that word propitiation means. It's an offering of appeasement. Jesus, the righteous one, offered himself and sprinkled his own blood on the mercy seat as an atonement for sin. Peace with God is possible because of this. So we've seen God's nature 
And we've seen that we cannot approach, but the gospel message tells us that what Christ has done makes salvation possible. The finished work of Jesus means that we can approach God. Bill Mount says this, everything we need for God's forgiveness, for the removal of God's anger, and the reconciliation that with God himself can be found in Jesus. He is the propitiation, the satisfaction for our sins, and not ours only, but the sins of the whole world. That means that all who come to God through Jesus will be saved. Brothers and sisters, that's good news. It's very warm in here. I don't know if anybody else is about to suffocate to death. I am. But in spite of that, and the fact that we'd rather just go to sleep, this is good news. That God came, that Jesus came and satisfied the demands that God had on us. The certificate of debt, Paul said, has been canceled. And we can have life if we come to God through him. John said, this is the message. Not the other things that people are carrying around, they're saying to you, the false message in the church. This is the gospel message. God is light. We are in darkness. But Jesus has made it possible for us to move out of our darkness and into his marvelous light. Tis finished. The Messiah dies. Cut off for sins, but not his own. Accomplished is the sacrifice. The great redeeming work is done. Tis finished. All the debt is paid. Justice divine is satisfied. The grand and full atonement made. God for a guilty world hath died. The veil is rent in Christ alone. The living way to heaven is seen. The middle wall is broken down and all mankind may enter in. Let me ask you a question this morning. As Kevin and Amanda are going to come and they're going to lead us in a hymn of response in just a minute. Very simply, are you living in the light of who God is or are you still in darkness? Has there been a time where you have confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Are you still stuck in darkness? God's Word says that those who come to God in Christ will be saved. So in just a minute, we're going to get ready to sing. If you need to come to Jesus, I pray that you'll do that. I'll be here. Others will be here. We'd love to explain to you what it means to be a Christian. If you are a believer in the room, This is how you respond to the gospel message. You walk in the light. Fresh and anew, you go back to John 1, 1 John 1, verse 9, and you confess. And you remember that God is faithful to forgive every time you confess, but you have to let go of whatever darkness you are carrying into that relationship. Otherwise, if there's a consistent pattern of darkness, it may be that you've never really been rescued. Then your response should be this morning to come to Jesus and live. Jesus loves you. He died so that you can live. If you don't know that truth, I pray you will this morning. Will you stand with us as we prepare to sing? Father, help us to respond in a way that honors you. In Jesus' name, amen.